Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Gogo Bordello formed in New York in the late 90s. The members came from all over the world and brought with them a variety of instruments, like the violin, accordion, horns. But the band is distinctly American in that they are a group of people with different backgrounds blending their culture together to create something new. The group's leader, Eugene Hoots, a Ukrainian refugee, specifically sees Gogol Bordello as a punk band. And though it isn't punk like the Ramones or Black Flag, it is very much a punk project in its essence of how they approach music and the energy they bring to the stage. Today, we talk to Eugene, dig into the group's history and philosophy, and we understand what role ska plays in the upbeat, bouncy sounds of Gogol Bordello. So I like the idea of this kind of immigrant punk band. Mm-hmm. These, you know, people coming from all different places and coming together and playing playing punk together. I think that's that's a really... Interesting way to partner yourselves together to make music. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess that's what uh, Gogol Bordello was from the very beginning. Um, I remember when I first heard them, I was just totally blown away by how it was just all of these different styles of music, Mm -hmm. particularly with sort of like a Eastern European folk sound to it, but just punk. Yeah. Just energy. Yeah. The thing that was always expressed to me was their insane live shows. And uh, Eugene's uh, ferocity as a front person to just get into you know huge swirling audiences and command a crowd. I think the other thing too about them, particularly their live show back in the day, is just their their usage of these different instruments mm-hmm. and embracing them in a way where it's not at all novelty. It is just you're you're playing these instruments. You're attacking these instruments. You're you're using them for all, getting the sounds and the energy you can get from them, and creating interesting music that's punk rock. Yeah, there's no reason punk rock just has to be loud guitars and and banging drums, right? Yeah, whatever you're playing, bring it to the party. And Gogo Bordello, particularly because of these influences, there's always been like this upbeat element to it. Yeah, which is a ska, a ska component. Or is it just a beat that that uh, you know internationally recognized as making your body want to move? This is something we talk about at length in this interview. Yep. I want to talk first about this song, this song "Focus Coin," which uh, one of your new songs off your new album. You dro- you released it like a little while ago, and I heard it. I 
I said, I, I was like, oh my goodness, this is there. Gogo Bordello officially is playing ska. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan. But if you browse through our albums, you'll find a lot of that from the very beginning. Sure, I mean, sure. It's like ska without doing ska. Yeah, even my previous bands, uh, I mean, ska and hardcore, they go hand to hand. They never were not going hand to hand. Yeah. And uh, ska and punk was never like separated. And uh, I can probably write up a whole list of songs that have semi ska or pretty blatant ska elements. So, yeah, there's no. Uh, it's there's no contradiction there. I always felt like, you know, Operation Ivy and Murphy's Law, and you know, especially early uh, OE and punk and you know, ska, ska bands from from England were just like living and breathing it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the marriage of ska and punk happened pretty, you know, pretty quick back in the uh, two tone era, and I just don't think they've been separated ever since. Yeah. Exactly. So. Well, I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad it's uh, working out for you. <laughs> <laughs> the song uh, is about the sort of how our focus, our focus is an important thing that's being, I guess you could say, attacked in this era of um, many, many distractions. Yeah. A- anything else you want to say about the, this particular song? Yeah, for sure. Where I mean, it's kind of, you know, the, the last couple of years were pretty trying years for everyone on the planet. And, and now with, you know, pandemic, now war in Ukraine is going on and, you know, Russian propaganda just is thriving on, on break on, on this people disability to uh, focus, you know, it's actually their main tactic is make their statements unintelligible. And so people just kind of get used to not being, not having a satisfying answer. And they already drilled their population into it. Like people that are not, don't even care about satisfying answer. They're already, uh, you know, in a, in, in a whole Russian territory, it's pretty apparent that people are okay. Just gobbling up whatever garbage they're served. And they're not, they've been trained for so many uh, decades, I should say actually Santaris because, uh, you know, they've always been basically one or another form of dictatorship there, uh, whether it's communistic or Tsarist or Ivan the Terrible, that's like almost secondary. It's always dictatorship of one or another kind. And, uh, and um, I think that people that are pretty much trained into not having any kind of analytically satisfying answers at this point. And that's a kind of threat to the, uh, it, that tendency is worldwide too, you know? So you got to kind of catch yourself and start developing or, or rather recapturing your ability to hyper-focus. Because in fact, like any, any spiritual teaching that there ever was, you know, from, you know, from basic meditation to like deeper, you know, things like, you know, whatever Sufism or whatever uh, discipline you may pursue, they all point back that, you know, your attention, your ability to strengthen your uh, focusing and your uh, inner core is really the only way you can perceive things adequately in this world. 
So you see, it's very much under attack. And so the song actually plays off on like kind of the gibberish that you hear around, uh, you know, about whatever the issues are going on around the world. And it's just kind of portrays them as a kind of avalanche of lies. And um, you just got to keep where you just got to catch yourself and be like, hey, <laughs> that's um, that is an avalanche of lies. I think like one of the biggest problems we face today as a, as a culture is apathy. And I think distraction and lack of focus feeds apathy. Yeah. yeah so I, I think it's in, that's an interesting point you were making because I think to get people to care and do something, they do need to focus. Yeah. I mean, it's more than they, it's more than they just have to focus for focus sake. It's just, they will not be able to, have their daily operation uh, structured in an adequate way. Their priorities will be upside down and they will uh, unfortunately not live their maximum potential life without getting into too deep about that. It's like it's somehow it's segued into a pretty, you know, if, if, if maybe like 20, 30 years ago, that would be considered to be kind of like, uh, you know, conspiracy theory or something like that kind of mentality. But now it's kind of segued into a pretty casual uh, way of just the way people uh, operate, like through social media. It's like superficiality is completely accepted on all levels. And, and actually it's glorified, like narcissism is glorified as if that's not a malignant, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, trait. It's just like, yeah, let's get more of that done. You know, um, you know, it's just kind of absurd. Yeah, how these things that were pretty much understood as negative uh, things now they're just completely full blown and uh, celebrated. Mm -hmm. Narcissistic mentality, very, uh, you know, just get ahead no matter what. Get get as many followers as you can, no matter what. It's just like, that's what people's life became about in a lot. Not all, but you know, a lot of them. And that is really, really um, not punk rock. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah, exactly. It's like used to, we we're trying to lose followers. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> you know, like, like it was just like, okay, we're doing something that's not for everybody. And uh, if you dig it, you dig it, but we're not expecting everybody to dig it. And so don't dig it. You know, if you don't dig it, like that's fine. Yeah. It was never about begging people to like it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was great because you didn't have to spend so much of your time, like dealing with people who are there for superficial reasons or actually there for wrong reasons, you know? So it's definitely quite a curve. Your new drummer um, from 2020 to present is a uh, Corey Kingston Horn. Yes, that's the man. Yes, so let's talk about his. Uh, he played in the original. He, he was an original Agrilites drummer. Yep. Rhythm Doctors was a band that predated the um, Agrilites. He's done some stuff with Tim Armstrong. Yes, so Tim's so album. Yeah. Yeah. Poets Life. What a great album. Yeah. Western Times Scott Orchestra, which is an amazing project. C Spot, uh, a traditional LA ska band. And then he's done some stuff with Hepcat too. Though, in particular, though, because he played on Agrilite's debut album, Dirty Reggae. Mm -hmm. If you listen to that record, those are just some deep, deep grooves. 
Oh, it's badass. Yeah. It's just, it's absolutely badass. And uh, I beat it to death some of the tracks from there uh, on my DJ set. And um, yeah, I mean, I know Corey for quite a number of years, actually, because he was, I mean, he was friends with our previous drummer, uh, Oliver Charles and uh, Fredo, Alfredo Ortiz, who also played with us. I mean, they're kind of like, you know, they've been, they're all from, same scene you know la san diego punk rock ska fusion uh it's it seems like uh they have they share as, as diverse as all their influences are it seemed like punk rock and ska yeah and you know it's just the, all three of them nail that and and and, and core in particular he kind of i would say he uh, even specializes in, I mean, he does specialize in ska. So it's like ska and punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. Which was great because as you pointed out before, you know, like uh, that element is not new for us. Even in my previous bands, like before Gogo Bordello in, in the Cossacks and even in my band back in Ukraine, in Uksusnik, ska was kind of like, um, one of the places to go like it was i almost forgot the word ska because it was just like it was always at the tip of our fingers as uh as one of the grooves that's gonna slip into just about any song anytime yeah and but corey since he has such a you know knack for it and he's kind of a scientist of it he kind of brought in uh new you know a new feeling of it into the band and actually inspired uh some of these uh songs to be in a very particular way so maybe that's why it stood out to you like he just really really uh fire breathed he just spits fires with you know <laughs> i i think so because you know not 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 every not every upbeat is ska i mean obviously you know the the the, the romani folk music and other thing it it has a similar upbeat sound but the the drumming of ska is, is unique and uh and i think that's probably what i heard listening to focus coin was the the drumming and uh, that's why it caught my attention right so th- that it's more so than than previous uh incorporations of that i can see that for sure um because as you said yes there uh in in gypsy music in in eastern european music it there are grooves that are basically on if you don't get it under microscope they could be considered <laughs> like very very ska yeah but it's of course it's that nuance that whole like washing machine that whole vibe that that makes it the ska ska you know so yeah i mean to so many of the uninitiated you know they hear ska and they think what well, is this you know polka or mariachi and all of them have that same upbeat element, right? But uh, they're all a little bit different. Very super different, and I mean, even the Latin ska, like mm-hmm. the way uh, the way Latin punk rock bands do it, uh, you know, down in Argentina and um, in, in in Colombia, you know, Scampida uh, was a great punk ska band uh, we played with. Uh, we're always really uh, good friends with they do have a, their own feeling of it it's really really kind of mm, how would they say it it's more of a 
stabbing kind of staccato feel uh, perhaps more aggressive too but it is quite distinctly different yes what do you think is the universal appeal of the upbeat well i mean people uh do want do want to levitate somehow mm. <laughs> i mean you know i love that and uh you know it's it's endorphins i mean you know body produces endorphins what like after 20 minutes of movement mm-hmm. of intense movement um uh, and then it becomes more than i mean you're not just thinking that you're having fun you're having a lot of fun because your body is pumping chemicals that are painkillers yeah and that's the universal appeal of upbeat it's a painkiller <laughs> producing machine <laughs> mechanism <laughs> you know who doesn't like pain being killed yeah uh, you know i mean as human being you know uh, it's no secret no matter how well you're doing you know or maybe you're going through one of the you know whether you're in the hills or valleys of your life there is still something that you're resolving or dealing with it's still some kind of form of semi suffering or maybe full blown suffering and um y- you know all those things that people latch on to is whether it's you know drugs or or alcohol or better music you know those are ways to medicate yourself and get yourself out of these problems and feel better so <laughs> of course pumping so much um natural uh i forgot the names of those endorphins uh, but at one point i was like studying it kind of was so curious about it but that's that's the story you know that's the appeal <laughs> it kills your pain i love it because it developed in in different parts of the world independently like the stuff happening in eastern europe and and jamaican ska music and mariachi music yeah. I mean, these things were not aware they were not aware of each other but they were it's like they 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 found the secret and the secret was the upbeats i love that ethno like anthropological musicologist kind of with looking at those things and connecting the dots like I always enjoyed that so so what would be like unifying thread between the upbeat of you know Jamaican ska and eastern european and and latin music you know you know the reasons are climate and sociopolitical and and history you know those are probably the things that make those particular territories so rich with that kind of music sure is those are very tough areas to survive uh you know maybe not on first glimpse but they are mm-hmm. you know those are that's usually where there's a lot of poverty a lot of unresolved history and uh you know that's kind of i mean eastern europe and latin america has that in common that's for sure and you know i mean and, and jamaica is not so far behind i mean you know there's just a lot of tensions that constantly need being resolved mm-hmm. and uh, i think that that's how people subconsciously create those mechanisms of self healing you know even in tribal times i mean just dancing around the fire to that predates music that you when when it was probably more just just movement mm-hmm. probably rhythm appeared out of the dancing not the other way around so 
it was already, you know, the link, we just found the link back into, you know, pumping those endorphins and getting high natural. <laughs> when, uh, start wearing purple. Uh-huh. I imagine that any show you play, no matter how the crowd's been, when, when you go into that song, that no one's capable of, <laughs> of not moving. You're not wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> that song, that song just like seeps into your bones and it just demands movement. Yeah. Um, well, that's actually a, that song is kind of found perfect marriage of Eastern European vibe. In fact, and uh, ska reggae mm-hmm. element, yeah. which is pretty prominent in the arrangement there. Um, it's just was such a natural you know, a way to arrange that song, which is very Odessa, Black Sea, Ukrainian kind of uh, uh, storytelling little ditty to begin with, you know. Mm-hmm. But to to me, it's a very kind of black sea ukrainian kind of uh song with a bit of that port town port town odessa being such a port town that you know received so much uh, was so well informed by tango and italian melodies that were you know popular the, with the sailors back in you know 19th century and early 20th century a lot of those melodies that gardel sang you know the tango melodies and um Italian mafia songs, uh, Neapolitan songs, they all kind of uh, found a home in Odessa and were later kind of regurgitated onto the whole Ukraine and farther. And a lot of people, a lot of times people identify those melodies as if it's a folkloric melodies of that land. But they are, they're actually of, uh, you know, a lot of times they're from Italian and uh, Spanish origin. Yeah, it's really interesting stuff, you know. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they do take on character of their new locale and, like, become the melodies of their new area. But their origin, I mean, I've scouted through a lot of those tango songs and to hear <laughs> so many familiar, supposedly, uh, you know, uh, Ukrainian Odessa songs, melodies. When you did the uh, Tiny Desk in... Uh... When was that, like 2010, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Watching you, it was a, it was a great set. I loved hearing the songs in that acoustic setting. Uh, you closed with Start Wearing Purple, and you know, you're on the desk. And it feels like you had been really trying to break down <laughs> the NPR staff. To kind of like let go, let go their inhibitions. <laughs> and I feel like, uh-huh. it feels like you've got them on that song. Well, I mean... I mean, we could have easily started with that song and get it there, but in a way, it would be just too banal, you know what I mean? Like, sure, here we go, here, here we go, you know. I mean, it's nice to see the arch, arch of development, you know. And in a way, you know, it's funny, but there was like five or six years where we like just didn't play that song. Like, we mm-hmm. just completely get rid of it and kind of moved past it. Uh, we toured for ages without Start Wearing Purple and then brought it back. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like kind of un- unthinkable for some people, but it-, it worked just fine without it too. You recently went to Ukraine. Yeah. You just got back and you were playing a, uh, a secret undisclosed location show for Ukrainian troops. Is that what you were doing there? Yes, that would be accurate to say. 
Um, yeah. What, what was that like? I mean, I saw like, I saw a little collection video where it was kind of summarizing the thing and it, you know, it looked like it was a very powerful experience. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot to say about it. I'm still processing the experience and, um, you know, since the beginning of this completely idiotic attack of Russia, um, which is kind of so um, moronic and on so many levels. It's yeah. just a, such a huge miscalculation of um, what of who they think they are, you know. And um, you know, of course, everyone I know and you know is is been betaken by by the situation and be taken by it on a very uh, deep level. So, you know, you kind of gear up for, to be a part of solution as much as you can be in, um, and kind of be, be that as in a most, almost like pragmatic way, because it is so emotionally, um, you know, what's the right word? Kind of almost damaging, you know, but luckily Ukrainian people are strong and they, they just persevere. And, you know, and, and as one of the Ukrainian people, you know, you find a way to, okay, uh, emotions aside, what can be really done? You know, this is not the time to, uh, you know, get hysterical. This is time to get uh, practical and, you know, morale is very important. So writing poems and songs and putting them out on, you know, YouTube and, and promoting them. That's a one thing that to me, just like, like we did a lot of that and created some collaborations with other like, you know, artists from Ukraine that we thought were very meaningful and powerful, you know, but at a certain point that stuff felt like it's got to get more tangible and like, we got to go there and uh, I mean, here in Gogol Bordello, we always kind of put our, what's the expression? Put our... You put your money where your mouth is? Yeah, that's the expression. Yeah, sorry, it just escaped my mind. So <laughs> it was time to do that in the, because people there, they hear constantly about how people all over the world support Ukraine. But, you know, when you really see it, when somebody is coming from afar, whether it's just a organization of people flies in and you know meets them uh face to face that's a different result they feel it differently they really feel it and they really appreciate it and uh you know and and it was important for us to do it because a lot of actors been going there you know a uh, friend of mine Liev Schreiber has been going there a lot I mean Ben Stiller Angelina Jolie like People been going there, you know, Sean Penn has been doing a lot of amazing work for that. But it's harder for musicians. It's a lot more people. It's, you know, a band is a band. It's band with a crew is always going to be end up like 10 people. It's a lot more logistics. It's wartime. It's not easy. And uh, plus some people are just scared to go, you know, and uh, understandably so. So it was important to kind of break that mold, you know, and go there as a band and uh, show that, yes, you can go. And, um, 
you know, provided it's all professionally organized and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a time to go basking in Ukraine, obviously, but it's time to go and do, <laughs> you know, but it's time to go and do things that bring results. Yeah. And that was the idea. So, you know, I, I grew up there. A lot of my friends are, you know, went on becoming other you know, artists or musicians or, you know, painters, designers. Some of them became diplomats and, you know, work in other spheres. So between all of us, we had a reach to, to organize this and do it. And we were kind of basically uh, logistically and legally guided by, by um, you know, these trusted Ukrainian sources. So it was very well organized. I guess you can't, I mean, I'm trying to sound like so methodical about it, <laughs> but of course there is, uh, we're musicians, we are emotional. So once we got there, it, it was actually unbelievably cathartic because we didn't only, we, we not only played for the battalion of uh, soldiers that actually were one of the first to receive the enemy back in February. So these, uh, you know, these people like faced the, 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 you know, the brutality of the very first attack, you know, bringing joy to them and, you know, having some time to talk afterwards and, you know, kind of rubber, you know, sweaty shoulders next to each other and um, exchange, you know, some, you know, uniforms and just little gifts. You know, it was really, really moving on that level. But we also were very blown away by the musicianship of the military uh band because it was a jointed it was a jointed uh gig uh, there was you know soldiers uh from the military enjoying the gig but we also played with i think it was about six or seven musicians from the army forces and uh when this gig was coming together you know, we, we love the idea. You know, we learned some of their songs. They learned our songs. But, you know, we still were kind of, uh, we didn't know what kind of musicians they really were. Like, were they going to be mostly brass musicians that have, like, gigantic, you know, like, tubas and that kind of, like, you know, military uh, kind of spirited mar marching band vibe. When we got there, these these people were mind blowingly uh, seasoned players. Like the bass player was this Jaco Pastorius kind of guy, you know, who <laughs> just like <laughs> was just like kind of like you know uh, beyond Berkeley uh, gunslinger, you know, and um, other just virtuoso level musicians of like rock and folk. And, and classical schools. So we just like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. Like, this is not going to be this like thing where we're trying to make it work. It's like, they already, it's done. Like, we're going to really enjoy this mutual catharsis. 
and catharsis it was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, um, you're, you're from Kiev. Um, and it's my understanding that at some point you, you moved to the outskirts of Kiev and that's when you discovered punk rock and the punk rock scene. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not really outskirt. I mean, I, I was born and raised on a, on a kind of uh, almost outside of Kiev. It's Boyarka. It's, uh, it's, it's a small town, you know, outside of Kiev, actually. But then I lived in Kiev. And uh, then we moved once again where, to Abalon, which is a borough of Kiev that's kind of more remote. Uh, well, at least, I mean, it is remote. But it's sort of like, I, I love that explanation because it really works. It's a kind of Bronx of Kiev. Like if you'd live <laughs> at the back of the Bronx, like closer to, uh, you know, uh, farther up. That was, that was the feeling, you know. It's, I mean, I was literally living in, in the last building. Like after that building of that borough, there was just a flat field and, uh, you know, River Dnieper River, and then uh, the artificially created sea, Kievan Sea, and there it was, and then it's Chernobyl, you know. So it's it's like that. It, it's a real outskirt, you know. We'd go up on the roof, and you know, you know, you look one way, you see kind of Kiev uh, in perspective, and you look the other way, it's uh, just prairies, you know, and then sandbars. And it was a really great place to grow up. Like, you know, as a kid, you have all that ammunition of like taking it as it is. You're not like, uh, you just take it as it comes. So we were growing up in like construction area, basically, you know, since I was eight until I was 16. It, there was nothing, not even trees, just unfinished buildings, uh, which were, you know, about nine floors and 16 floors most of the time. Just kind of projects, projects, more projects, uh, and sand. Like there was not a whole lot of payments. Just you know, from a subway. <laughs> the first years when we, uh, you know, it was a last stop on a subway. The hero of Dnieper, the heroes of the Dnieper, um, and uh, then you had to go through like sand dunes to get to your apartment for like <laughs> a kilometer you know what i mean that was the vibe that sounds like something out of a dream like walking out of a subway <laughs> then walking through sand dunes <laughs> i mean you could take a pavement but it would like soon have to be two 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 kilometer walk yeah <laughs> it was just like all right it's just one kilometer straight through the sand <laughs> you know we just do that it was like normal you know and just get to your apartment <laughs> get to your building and, you know, take your shoes out and <laughs> take the sand out and <laughs> go up into your apartment, you know? Amazing. Yeah. So it was kind of very cool, I think, for our art development because in a lot of ways, it was like living inside of the coloring book that you need to color. Mm. And, uh, and we did a lot of that coloring, you know? That's why the music was so... Music was the color, you know, and uh, metal was, I mean, I was always in the music because of my father being so, you know, he grew up just like 
maniacally obsessed with uh, you know rock and roll and uh, he passed it on all to me like metal and uh, all that kind of thing I was already into it when I was like 10 years old but when the punk came that was like my I discovered my music so I got my own record collection and kind of you know it was just music of my time of our generation and and there was a lot of passion and a lot of uh, you know our, our scene I think was pretty um, pretty greatly informed you know somehow somehow we just kind of as, as remote as we were but you know I was listening to like Dead Kennedy's you know plastic surgery disasters which I think is their best album that's like 1983 right yeah, but we had that like I don't know maybe with delay of like two years you know what were the other tapes and, and bands that you really that really spoke to you at that in that time period right so i was gravitating towards more uh high energy and eccentric kind of punk so i started with you know dead kennedys like of course because they were just yeah it's an absolutely mind-blowing band like the first two records are just masterpieces and then uh you know, having a vinyl record was just something that's like, you really had to work for it to go to black market, save all this money. It, I had some vinyl, but that was a huge investment. So most of the time, uh, it was tapes, tape trading. And it was a, it was a really, really uh, charming network. Like sometimes you'd see somebody on the subway, you know, in Kiev. And even though you were like 14 years old, you know, see somebody who's like got kind of funky haircut you know <laughs> you're like just go up to them and be like so you're like down with punk rock you know <laughs> and they're like yeah like you know uh you want to like go to my house and like check out my tapes you know i'm like yeah and just people would hit it off like that because it was such a cult you know and uh, then you go to a show together and meet another you know 50 60 people you know that comprised that scene and then you kind of vaguely know everyone, you know how scenes work. And some of them would become like, you know, I kind of became friends with like kind of guys that were older than me and kind of became my sages and kind of guides into punk rock. So I would get tapes from them like uh, Sex Pistols one side, Devo on, the, on another. <laughs> um, I would get, uh, you know, The Cramps. And on the other side would be, uh, uh, sometimes it would be just something totally off, like Cocteau Twins, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you kind of had, uh, not my cup of tea, you know, but people were like very open to things, you know. They were just kind of like, it's all punk rock, you know. And I was like, I like I like that kind of, uh, as long as it was like super Baroque and kind of crazy, like it was all punk rock. So you know, the PIL was massively popular. Public Image Limited was just like out of control popular amongst us. Um, I mean, those are the big ones. Then I kind of took, I think I went with a more of a, uh, uh, with these with this kind of older dudes who were like five, six years older than me. They were kind of pretty notorious characters in, in punk scene in Kiev. Uh, Costa Baton and uh, 
and uh, Mandron, like they were just kind of like amazing, amazingly knowledgeable guys. And I started listening to more GBH and like kind of proto hardcore bands, mm-hmm. you know, who are just less eccentric, but more energetic and, uh, you know, exploited and all this like punk and disorderly compilations, you know, like one way system, um, discharge, all the bands that kind of UK bands that then, as I found out later, kind of influenced the birth of like hardcore music in the States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of was like, got on the train, like back in Ukraine on that like proto hardcore, um, uh, exploited and all that kind of thing, you know? And then, one thing that really uh, blew my mind was that when Sonic Youth came from New York City and played a show in Kiev in 1989, it was like just so out of the blue, like nobody knew who they were. And, uh, and their music was kind of really singular, you know, but I was just kind of like, I think they were, you know, I met them when they were, uh, when they were there, I mean, I was just like one of the skinny, you know, scrawny guys in a leather jacket at the show backstage that didn't speak any English. But I think, I think that the word, first time I heard word hardcore, I think was probably from Thurston, uh, from Sonic Youth. But I think he, he said artcore, but I, I thought he said hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but later on, I was reading like interview with him, and he was saying how he thinks they are more like hardcore band, and uh, which is totally accurate for Sonic Youth. <laughs> but it kind of got hardcore on my radar, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and the most amazing thing, as you know, about punk music is just so rapidly. It was so rapidly evolving that you know every two weeks there was some kind of new streak of it seemed like you would get new tape or somebody would tell you like, Oh yeah, that like that whole thing is like finished. Like just like shave your mohawk and like, it's now, now it's this thing. Now it's like Hare Krishna hardcore. <laughs> that, that's the latest thing. <laughs> now it's like use of today and shelter, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's the thing. <laughs> You're like, Oh, I got to check it out. I and mean, then I don't know if I'm going to like fully go out there and, you know, embrace the ideology of it but it's um but it's pretty impressive you know how how uh intellectually um explosive it is you know yeah you you mentioned uh ska being uh something that you were aware of and even incorporated back in those days what was your what were the bands you were aware of yeah uh selector Mm -hmm. the specials of course you know um Something that had the kind of street vibe, you know? Yeah. Something that didn't sound so pedantic, you know? And, um, and bad manners, bad manners were awesome. Um, you know, uh, Murphy's Law has a lot of ska element. I mean, it's, it's hardcore band, but I think it's just a great band. Any sure. way you look at it, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, it's just like such a great, it's just great. It's a band that has great songs, you know, fun, um, fun stories, uh, fun storytelling songs, like, and the really proper arrangements. 
it's quite a work of art, you know, like Murphy's Law, you know, if you, if you like really know all the kind of um, vitamins that they, they come from. Um, but it, it's a, we've, well, we played with specials actually several times and it was really cool. Uh, in Europe, we played festival twice together and we hang out with them and and uh, I remember maybe it was their bass player uh, one of the original members for sure anyway uh, he was we had this really cool talk where he was like listen first time I heard Global Bordello was on Jules Holland show and I was like what the fuck this is like <laughs> this is it's like these dudes just like stole a baseline from us, you know, then they like have this kind of like, you know, Beatles, David Bowie kind of like let's, uh, you know, backup, uh, backup singing going on. And then, you know, the singer is just kind of just fucking punk rocking it out. And it's got this little bit of gypsy music and it's got like all this, and he's just got kind of like, whether this analytical breakdown <laughs> it was really interesting to listen. <laughs> and I was listening to it, I was like, that was pretty accurate. I mean, we're playing uh, Lella Palatute actually on Jules Holland, and that's what he saw. So the bass line there actually is kind of like specials. It's a, uh, it's, <laughs> you know, I was like, dude, you're fucking nailing it. I mean, yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I mean, we do the same, you know, we, that's, that's how it's done. You know, you just, you're your own synthesizer. And uh, they just could directly see into our, into a vortex of what we're doing, you know, musically. When you were getting those tapes, was Op Ivy at one of them? Oh, Operation Ivy. No, I, I only heard Operation Ivy when I got them to States. And yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, I got here in 1990. So it was still making the rounds in the US at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did not have, you know, Ocean still, this was pre internet and Ocean was still working as a, great divider i mean we just were not getting really a lot of american music like that kennedy's is just somehow just (laughs) it's like a a force that was impossible to stop right (laughs) like nature could not uh, hold it back that was very popular but like i didn't hear like black flag or agnostic front or um you know uh talking entry on, uh, or Gorilla Biscuits until I got to States. And then when I did, or Fugazi, you know. Oh, okay. And all of those bands, I, I you know, became, some of them became you know, my favorite as bands of all times, you know. Yeah. You know, Fugazi and, and Agnostic Front in particular is just, uh, I like, I can't see myself without appreciating that whole, like, what they done it's just too monumental you know but it wasn't um somehow that i mean i was the first person actually to send tapes with uh american hardcore to ukraine i would make these uh nice i would you know as as soon as i like picked up some equipment and salvation army you know we were still living in refugee house in vermont and i started like communicating you know with, with local punk and hardcore scene kids and they were super awesome they uh they were very um uh they kind of 
we would be befriended each other very uh, uh, rapidly. And they took me to the shows and they gave me the rec records. I mean, you know, sometimes they'd give me like 20, 30 records uh, and I would go and tape them and send them to Ukraine and, uh, you know, trying to inform people and that, you know, this is the whole new, uh, like, amazing streak of music happening here, you know, yeah. bad brands, you know, but that really knocked people out in Ukraine. Like all my friends just like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like three bands that really uh, knocked them out was bad brands, uh, Fugazi and Murphy's Law, you know, yeah. because that's what's just like, sonically, it was so singular, you know, mm -hmm. When you still lived in uh, Ukraine, what were the punk shows like? Punk shows, right? Yes, of course. Um, in fact, quite regularly. But you are right if you're hinting that they were semi-different uh, mm -hmm. because there was no venues. And uh, I mean, a lot of the punk shows here were held in basically not in, not in clubs. You know, Just a right. lot of them were in like Ukrainian national home or, you know, Polish uh, social clubs that were would just get rented out to them, or you know, some kind of gymnasiums. And uh, but there, it 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 we didn't even have the luxury of that. Like it was always in some absolutely super obscure uh, place, and uh, and and. And when somebody said, you know, there was no posters, you could like you couldn't hang up a poster and be like, "Hey, punk show!" Like that's like, no, like you'd like be expelled from the you know college or you know, school <laughs> for organizing that show or putting up that flyer. People found loopholes around how to you know say it's going to be like meeting of youth or whatever the fuck you know like poetry reading, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, poetry reading with guitars and drums, you know. Yeah, it's technically there's poetry in the involves. The production of it was like so like beyond DIY. It was like, you know, if we would hear, okay, there is a punk show happening at like eight o'clock in this park or in this uh, warehouse in that park, we would, people would go there like at nine, you know, like, and that means that like <laughs> people get there, but the bands, even gear is not there. <laughs> so it means that like maybe at, like nine thirty, <laughs> like the drummer you know shows up and starts like checking the kick drum. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like finally, it all comes together and goes on for like half hour, you know, before it gets shut down and <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> you know, that was like, but it was still a huge event because as soon as, as long as there was, it reached the point of some kind of a eccentric burst out, you know, uh, whether it was from people in the audience or on stage, you know, it was kind of like that. Like it was more of a social event. And when, and when Gorbachev, you know, allowed already like, for more of these things to happen more towards like 88 and 89 you know you would go to shows that were maybe better put together but people still there even the punk rockers it was still more like 
pogoing and kind of basically doing twist and shout kind of vibe, you know, that was already rebellious enough. Yeah. So, you know, when I got to States and I was just like, went to start going to hardcore shows, I was like, yo, this is like, <laughs> this, this is a choreography that I have not seen and I dig it, you know, like the whole <laughs> slam dancing crowd surfing thing just became like a regular thing to do. But, that was not part of the thing back there, you know. It, it was very insular, the Ukrainian punk scene. Well, it was just more like, it was just having like more like, uh, the rebellious thing was like, have a great time, you know, despite like Soviet kind of grayness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. It was different in that sense, you know. So in 1999, um, this is when you start Gogol Bordello in New York. Um, actually it was, it was a bit, it was like more than like 97. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I moved to New York 97 and, and started as a, you know, I just started playing by myself with guitar in, in Ukrainian bars on Lower East Side. Um, but I already had another band before that in Vermont, which was kind of, you know, a hardcore punk band and the Cossacks and, um, uh, it was a very, very good band. In fact, we're constantly talking about doing some shows. Uh, very much proto-Gogol Bordello-like. Um, mm-hmm. But I did kind of probably OD at a certain point on the volume and just, you know, <laughs> harshness of... Yeah, I mean, I played the electric guitar and going ham at all times, you know. <laughs> I somehow just hit this place where i just kind of picked up acoustic guitar and felt this like urge to do something very melodic and you know and so i turned down the volume and Gogol bordello was just kind of like i was like if maybe i can play these the cossacks songs with acoustic guitar and see how it pans it out and in fact, some of the Global Bordello songs, early ones, they were from, from the Cossacks. Passport, for example, was the, you know, the song from the first album that we still play mm-hmm. every show. Uh, like yeah, immigrant experience kind of songs. And I was like, wow, it sounds really good. More like a, an acoustic, um, you know, punk rock. And so I kind of like, you know, uh, stripped it down to that level and then you know it became more of a duet with our uh, very very original accordion player sasha and uh we kind of start performing like that as a duo you know at parties and um at parties and some some venues like sidewalk cafe you know that kind of like it was a pretty legendary spot where a lot of people started out that that kind of uh, I think Beck started out there, and Regina Spector actually started out there too. Apparently, as we talked, it turned out to be right around the same time with us. Ah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. It was just like Monday night open mic, and then if you're like caught a good vibe with a uh, with Lutch, Lutch, the guy who was curating it, you know, he would give you like a, you know an hour in a in a better on a better night, just things like that. And so in in 
it's kind of interesting, but there was never really time when Google Bordello really started because it's kind of cross-faded from uh, the Cossacks mm-hmm. and, you know, some material from there and me moving to Vermont, uh, from Vermont to New York City. And then, you know, Sasha, who was already playing with the Cossacks by the end of it, uh, becoming like accordion, but also kind of like important kind of strengthening element in, in terms of like, you know, knowing the melodic pool of Eastern Europe. So, and then, you know, uh, you know, it's just then became trio. And then I think probably you could say that like a real kind of like, if we would have to find a day, if we would have to find like a birth date for like uh, documentation of Google Bordeaux when the drummer, Elliot Ferguson joined, then we were like, all right, we got the sound like, you know, when we met him, he was very into the pose and, uh, you know, punk rock, but also just as he said it, hey, I know a good song when I hear it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. That's important. <laughs> Let's uh, continue talking. <laughs> He's just so us playing at a party, actually, on Canal Street. Uh, our friend, Adam Stanett, a painter. And he was like, it just looks so fun like you guys are just having a blast and the songs are good and it's acoustic it's just kind of really fresh i was like yeah that's kind of how we feel about it so let's join the forces so Goku bordello has you know even from those early days members from all over the world yeah was that intentional or was that just kind of how it happened it's how it happened i mean i really didn't have any intention for uh, we were not baking a cake, you know, with instructions and mm-hmm. like, hey, let's have all these ingredients. That that was not, yeah, it's impossible to imagine Gogol Bordello without Sergei on violin, mm-hmm. you know, but he was not on the first album because we, I mean, he was not in the band. Uh, he joined later. Um, that's to the point that there was not... It was evolving as it, it's evolving. And it was more about not what people play. And uh, it was more about like kind of like characters for like the Magnificent Seven, you know, or something like that. Like it was more important to have the, the like uh, characters with great kind of personalities. And what they were playing was almost like secondary to me. Mm-hmm. It was just an always evolving idea, and it continues to change all the time. I mean, it was never the same. Yeah. So it's impossible to see it without Sergey. But it, the first album does not have Sergey. However, now even I can't imagine it without Sergey, because uh, you know I went out and saw him play uh, by recommendation of. of uh, of a friend who just like called me and said, Hey, there's this amazing, uh, uh, you know, gypsy violent player. And uh, I was like, and I remember I was just so sick that that week I was just had this absolutely crazy cold that was killing me. Uh, I was just like, all right, we're going to do it. Uh, we got to go and see it. I just felt like this dude is going to be an amazing character. <laughs> so I just like guzzled down half bottle of wine. I was like, all right, I'm not sick. I'm just drunk. (laughs) 
changed the vibe and then we went out there and met, <laughs> met Sergey and wrangled him into the band basically like three days later he was playing with us yeah yeah it was just evolving as we went along there was no map like I wasn't aiming to get a violin player I saw Sergey play violin and I was like yes <laughs> the element of um you know eastern folk music and the kind of the, we talked about earlier the upbeats that sort of dancey element has kind of been a consistent with the band in even though elements have come and gone and changed and stuff, but it feels like that like fundamental element has been pretty consistent in the band. Sure. So after your, after your first punk band, as it was changing, was that when you were going acoustic, was that always kind of part of how you were approaching it? Was that getting into that rhythm? Um, you know, once again, music doesn't come from, uh, deep inside of your brain, it comes from deep inside of other organs, you know. Yeah, and um, I, you know, there was even time when I was really trying to go so experiment, you know, with my own creativity and songwriter and songwriting, just try to like write just ballads and really slow it down, but you know. In, a, in the early times of Gogol Bordello, I mean, the first album is actually quite, uh, it's, it's, it's upbeat in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of ballad strumming there and like really drowsy ballad strumming. I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. really, really, really <laughs> drowsy. <laughs> Just like super alcoholized, you know, uh, jams, you know. And, you know, I really always loved uh, you know, songwriting of Mick Cave. So I was always kind of like pulled into that drowsiness of a certain part of me. So, but it's just really not who I am, you know? <laughs> like I appreciate it, but who I am is a, you know, when you, when you hear like super sped up Gogol Bordello, like that's who I am. You know? <laughs> like, I experiment with other things. I don't, <laughs> that speed is natural to me, you know? and. Even now, like I was earlier today working on a new song, which is a very kind of important song on the, on the topic of Ukraine. And I tried, and therefore it kind of, I'm watching that it needs to be pretty cohesive, you know, be, you know because there's a message there that I don't want it to get lost in translation. But, you know, I just, it's still sped up pretty uh, tremendously. And, Basically, every song that Gogol Bordello has as a slow song, there is a version of it that's easily convertible into a fast song. It's really more who I am, just energetically. And people, and, you know, Sergey and Pedro and Boris and Corey, you think those guys are not maniacs or something? <laughs> you know? No, I mean, they're completely like, they are hyperactive uh, uh, individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, like speed is their natural habitat. I've heard you describe uh, Gogo Bordello as joy core. Yeah. Which I think like this is where we can draw some parallels to ska because I think ska is very much joy core, especially a good band. It produces joy, but it can often come from a place of processing pain, being cathartic and, you, you know, outputting it as joy. And I, I really feel like that's a really great way to describe Google Bordello. Fuck yeah. Uh, you know, it is a kind of our private repertoire um, 
you know description mm-hmm. of, of of our band um but it's kind of nails it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, well, let's talk a little bit about um a few albums in you have the song immigrant punk and i think um great song i think it kind of um captures it's you know captures the spirit of of the immigrant experience but in a in a in a way where it's you're embracing it unashamed and, and you're proud of it and um same with um la mi la immigrada that came uh, 2010 immigraniada yeah yes now the, i read an interview with you um kind of i think it was a little more recent or maybe it was around that time where kind of talking about how the immigrant experience historically has been one of necessity through displacement and through traumatic experiences mm-hmm. uh, which was your experience but that um the, you were talking about the idea of a worldwide citizenship which is that um people can just people can just be immigrants they can just live wherever they want and that it the idea of sort of moving past nations and borders and just everyone being a citizen of the world is sort of like uh-huh. maybe the maybe the way of thinking towards the future so i'm curious about your perspective on that especially it seems like maybe we, i think feel like we made progress in that area but it seems like we're backsliding as a world in terms of a worldwide citizenship yeah it's okay so this is like a very complex um kind of topic you know and um Mm-hmm. especially i already saw it like you know kind of thrown in my face several times where like oh you know you were always talking about you know like you know that kind of rising above the borders and here you are like advocating for ukraine you know about the borders you know and um which on the on the surface to you know for sake of journalistic like uh you know uh kind of cheaper form of uh controversy uh you know kind of vibe on the surface that can be like um something to uh to to talk about but it's very simply uh it's very simple to understand that yes we are sliding backwards like you just started pointing out mm-hmm. uh you know when you live in a relatively um in those decade i mean when you live in those relatively all right kind of decades like you know 80s and 90s and um and uh, you know early 2000s uh you kind of uh, you know you have a you have a little bit of leeway there to fantasize about things that are good like mm-hmm. you know you're 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 envisioning a perfect world and you're talking almost on behalf of perfect world because uh you're you're able to sometime i mean those are also problematic decades of course but but there were enough collective like optimism you know kind of uh turn of the century kind of vibe of sense of promise where you think that things are, can get significantly better, you know, and, uh, you know, you can operate on that level and it's very inspiring and you psych to share those inspiring visions with other people and exchange them with other artists. 
And there are people who really champion that topic, kind of like you know, cosmopolitan uh, idea, which I can identify with it very well. You know, that's very, um, that speaks to me for sure. But when you're like seriously witnessing entire planet going backwards, you know, in quantum mm -hmm. leaps. Yeah. And suddenly some of the accomplishments that you thought you could take for granted are just like suddenly not there, you know. It's, uh, you know, you need to catch yourself and everybody else that, like, we're not living in perfect world. Like, we did not get there. Like, we were seemed like we're almost there, but we're not there at all. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, you, you need to readdress these topics in a slightly different way. You know, people, people here in the U.S., I think, are aware of um, our own backsliding um, you know, with Trump and his anti-immigrant rhetoric and, and people latching onto that. But anti-immigration right. is a global issue. It's a global backslide that's happening. Yeah, well, because it's so complex. Yeah. It's like, you know, let's make it, let's not make it unintelligible. Uh, if you really want to get down with a subject, like you will only succeed if you take a one slice of that subject because immigration, people immigrate and people are refugees for very different reasons. So you cannot possibly ever put all of them into the same category and condemn them all or advocate them all. Like, it's mm -hmm. just like, you know, it just doesn't work like that. I mean, you know, the way we immigrated was, I mean, we're political refugees. So we had serious tangible reasons why we had to leave. How is it like the same with people who are just so loaded already where they're coming from so they can just move to Soho and so they can, you know, live a more, uh, you know, like, <laughs> like live more lavish life than they are already living there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, how is that? How is that like even on the same boat? Like, it's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and people, people very rarely sit down and differentiate those things for each other like on the paper both of those people somehow end up being immigrants and refugees but like this is people of completely different classes you know <laughs> so on the new record you have a song um it's an old song but you redid it the force forces of victory forces of victory sorry yeah so forces of victory um you did this song i think you i'm assuming you redid it to address uh, Ukraine because you bought on some Ukraine artists to help you with it and um, the song that has like is like more it's like more urgent more uh, it's got like something a new layer added to it from the from the original version I'm just curious about your thought process about bringing that song back and, and how you redid it for for now yes uh, the, you know we we had the album already done basically almost, I mean, it was in final stages. We were listening, we we're mixing with Walter uh, Schreifels who produced the album, you know, as you probably well know, uh, yeah. awesome musician, great songwriter, you know, amazing legacy in, in hardcore and punk. Yeah, Gorilla Biscuits, for instance, yeah. Yeah, Youth of Today, 
uh, Quicksand. Hot Water Music, yeah. Yeah. He even played in Warzone for a while. Yeah, so, you know, we were like finishing the album with Walter and, uh, you know, we talked about it all the time, you know, about that what was in the news having like a heavy X, you know, for everybody that the Russia is um, acting very uh, malignant. And, uh, and so, you know, it was not really an option not to address this topic once the album, once, once it started, the, once the war actually you know, materialized. And uh, so we created uh, several songs for the album to address this and forces of victory is a kind of a maelstrom of energy and uh, you know it was very like i wanted to create something with maximum impact and fast something that we didn't you know we could just cut fast to pull out instrumental tracks restructure a little bit and also make it in ukrainian so the new version is in Ukrainian and uh, addressing uh, addressing people uh, back home, and uh, it is a collaboration with uh, two other Ukrainian artists. That was the kind of you know the idea, like create this knuckle punch of uh, Ukrainian artists who are very different. Yeah, Kazka's like a like a pop group. Well, yeah, Kazka, Sasha from Kazka, she's a singer of uh, kind of like a almost like synth kind of techno, ethno techno kind of yeah, uh, very interesting uh, melodic band. And uh, and Serhii Zhadan, he's a punk rocker from Kharkiv who is a super active in resistance, and uh, you know we. We met years ago and um he's just he's a, he's aside from being a punk rocker he's actually an incredible writer who he's from east of ukraine and he wrote novels that are uh, made quite a quite some waves in, in literary world circles uh, one of them is orphanage uh, his novel and he's nominated for Nobel Prize, even before the war started, like he's just a legitimate, amazing writer. And I just wanted to, you know, join forces with Ukrainian, like powerful voices, you know, with personality who can move people. And that was really, you know, you know, Serhii loved the song, wrote his own lyrics. Uh, he's a wordsmith from Lord. And uh, we cut it very, very quick, very quickly. I mean, he also appears in the video. That's that's him, you know, rapping from uh, from Ukraine, you know, mm-hmm. in the video for Forces of Victory. And um, I thought it was just a great, really practical place to put our creative energies in. And since we're uh, on the topic of in defense of ska, mm-hmm. you know, this actually forces of victory um, title uh, comes from um, Linton Quasi Jones. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, Dub Poet uh, was always one of my favorite records. Um, yeah. I, 
it was just such an inspiring title that I ended up writing a whole, our own song out of it, you know, but, uh, you know, I could not, not mention him uh, in regards to that song, you know, he's a genius. And I, I recommend anybody who's never listened to him, give him a listen because he's a genius. Yeah. It's just, it's something else. It's very singular work of art for sure. Yeah. The, that entire album. I've read that uh, an influence for you is um, Manu Chao. Would you say Manu Chao is an influence on you? I think that probably, um, you know, somewhere along being from Europe, it's easier for us to like cue in into something like Mano Negra. M more importantly, Mano Negra, his old band, you know? Yeah. Uh, because it has that pool of kind of Mediterranean melodies, you know, that sure. leak in into our melodies. But I was always surprised how his music was just completely unknown in the States. Like it's Yeah, he's a star in Europe and he's a star in like Latin America. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. In those territories. That that is a fact. US not so much, but yeah, you know, and you know, you listen to um, Mono Negra albums and Skazen influence too, uh, as as is a whole bunch of other things. That's what like I could see a similarity whether or not it was intentional or not, where Mano Negra would take like everything and just <laughs> the, the, everything was the paintbrush to make music. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of going ham on that. I mean, it's all reached a point of like almost being tasteless, you know, <laughs> they just were like, you know, like it was more important to add more to the stew. It was like more is more bad, you know, it was like, sure. It was just like very kind of, uh, and which which I actually believe too. Like, you know, you know, any, any art student learns that like first thing in, in art classes that you know, less is more supposedly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it depends. Yeah, sometimes yeah. less is more, but there's a lot of times when more is more, and uh, you know, and um, I think that. You know, we kind of <laughs> proved that in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, just like having like army of people on stage and, uh, <laughs> you know, and just like having, I mean, we kind of go back and forth. Of course, it's like pre, um, I mean, we, we know what we're doing with our music, especially like the style has been so developed and the so-called gypsy punk is just actually so much more than that. But it's like, I, I kind of know all ins and outs of it and what's going to kind of work and what's not, but within it, but in a lot of ways, there was also stages of just like throwing everything together and, you know, seeing how, what's going to be the, the chemical reaction of that. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And, you know, and um, in a lot of ways it continues to be so. I mean, as I said, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, it's all right that it's kind of continues to live its life and keep, keep changing certain sides of it. That's, that's the secret of its longevity. Yeah, you have to, you have to do that as an artist and a musician, you have to, Mm -hmm. You can't just keep be complacent. I mean, I think you lose something, you lose an edge if you're not uh, putting yourself at risk. I have no idea how some bands just do that. I mean, no idea how those kind of more 
bands that kind of keep playing the same material. And uh, actually, commercially, it's better because I can see so many bands just going out there and playing like their first record that was like awesome 30 years ago. Yeah. And like, they just and that's all they do. Yeah. <laughs> and they just like slay it, you know, and like they're making a bank. And like, I could never do that. Like, I just like, like, we don't do that. Like we do, we have element of, you know, the jukebox there somewhere where there is, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of songs that people will not let us go without, uh, you know, but, you know, I just, <laughs> there has to be like a whole part of the show where like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, you know, <laughs> like, because it's like new and untested and uncharted and, yeah, and everybody's like knowing a band knows like okay this is the part of the show where we're like totally kick ass and this is like the part of the show where it's like may fall apart any second <laughs> and, and it's like and it's awesome in this way are you familiar with the band uh ruskaya um yeah we crossed paths with them but um we never played a show with them i mean yeah i'm not really um i wouldn't say that i know much about them actually yeah, they, they're a band. I mean, they're a newer band. They started in like 2005, but they're based out of Austria and they have uh, Russian and Ukrainian members of that band. And uh, yeah. they call themselves like turbo speed metal. But to me, it really is it's a lot of Scott elements and like a lot of, you know, a lot of juxtaposing like different si- styles and sounds. Uh, yeah, I was just curious if you guys were knew each other or anything. So, peripherally, you know, not on uh, kind of... As I said, we never played together like uh, you know a, a theater or club show, and uh, which is where how you get to know people. Sure, there's a great band that has. Uh, this is really actually funny because I discovered you know every tour I go and I come back with like a bunch of new music, just people bring backstage and you know check it out, you know. And I really uh, came from one tour uh, in Latin America and uh, was checking out all this. Uh, that music and really was digging this band uh, Cuatro Pesos de Propina mm, yeah and I was like wow it's a, just like they got something special it's got like all these uh, influences that I love and they do get pretty crazy at the same time uh, and I was like well where are they from and like what is it you know it ended up to be a band that played with us in Argentina, like several shows. And I just missed the band that was opening the show, you know? And, um, and more than that, I, you know, partied and got hammered with them after the show <laughs> without realizing how awesome they are. So, you know, like later on, I reconnected with them and, uh, you know, we finally established connection and start talking about collaboration. But, you know, when, if I wish I'd know that then, because we would probably end up, playing together on stage that night you know i absolutely love their music you know yeah the back in uh i want to say 2004 you did the you were part of the kill your idols documentary uh-huh and um when i watched that movie i i, I think i had become a fan of Gogo bordello just a couple years before that but um and i liked i like some of those bands in that film but i felt like when i watched that i said uh oh, Hands down, your interview was the best. You had the most interesting things to say. Oh, thank you. Um, about punk rock. I really like what you said about how like punk rock 
is trial and error. I think that was like one that really, really appealed to me. And that um, we, what you liked about, you know, sort of the initial punk rock and what you were hearkening to is this idea that it was new and nobody really knew if it was cool or not. And that there was like a, there was a beauty in the allowance of that as an artist. Right. Where, where you could sort of just try things without that pressure. And uh, anyways, I, I, yeah, I like that a lot. I like that. And I like that you can really see that in your band. I mean, in, in that particular documentary, there's like footage of you guys from like the knitting factory and you guys are going insane. Uh, and you're on stage with all, you know, all the, all the instruments that people don't normally associate with punk rock and being way more punk rock than probably every other band that was on the show. Yeah, that remains to be pretty much true. I mean, probably for, you know, a certain people whose points of reference, you know, who are just a lot younger, you know, that they already experienced punk rock as kind of something more formulaic, like you get that thing and then you get that kind of look and then you're punk rock. But of course, the, the gist of it is that, um, yeah, it's, it's the great variety of what punk rock is. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's actually pretty, uh, there's actually very diverse kind of um, diverse culture with very many, you know, sometimes conflicting fractions of it, you know, and uh, and that's kind of the biggest beauty of it because it's in a lot of ways it's dilettant, you know, it's people who just take up instruments and uh, approach things in a very shortcut shortcut through the woods <laughs> yeah. kind of way you know like yeah, yeah. i don't have the time to you know master all these arpeggios but i have a message and here it is mm-hmm. so and the eccentricity of it is you know the fun eccentricity of it that you know how fun it can be like in in a i mean fun is important you know it's not like uh like joy i mean I mean, fun, not in a meaningless way, but fun in a kind of endorphins pumping way. I mean, it's, it's art therapy, you know? Yeah. Art therapy that people can strike quite easily together, you know? And, uh, and one of the appeals, actually, of punk sky is just how easy it is to start playing it. Maybe not for a drummer. <laughs> but uh, you know that's why that's why it sometimes gets bad rap you know because you know it's just so much it's just a lot of super dilettant people went and those like um kind of like what do you call it like what's what's the ska wave that got the most bad <laughs> press <laughs> like the second or third or fourth wave i don't i don't know. yeah like third wave 90s punk ska is like the stuff that people hate on the most yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so like i think it's almost like maybe it's appears like too easy, you know, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, you do your thing, you know, you gotta do, you gotta do what, um, your true calling is. And, uh, maybe, you know, by starting it that way, you still evolve through it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a great, it's a great place to dive into if you're a young energetic person with tons of creativity yeah you know, sky is the limit in punk rock you know <laughs> absolutely yeah it's interesting because like in the mid-2000s um like gypsy punks i feel like kind of caught the attention of the critical world and and you guys were appreciated but then 
I was reading some articles for later albums and I kind of felt like the the way they were analyzing you guys was really bizarre. Like they were like using the fun and the joy against you. And it kind of just like annoyed me. And that annoys me with uh, music right, criticism right. in general. It's like music, like how music makes you feel. Music is fun. Yeah. And how it makes you feel is very important part of the experience. <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, mental health is, you know, not very, uh, widespread thing so you know <laughs> it's like you know there's just a lot of people who are so lost in their head and they're and then they're kind of trying they're they're trying to describe something that they essentially do not understand like they just yeah. can't have access to it because they're disconnected from it like if you don't have like a vibrant emotional you know, life, you're not going to like, like Gogol Bordello, like, <laughs> like, you know, you're not supposed to, I mean, I don't care, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. As I said, like, we're not about like, let's get all the followers we can. Like, I don't care. Let's lose some followers. I mean, I'm ready, whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not, it's about like, you got to be faithful to your true calling. You know, like our true calling is, uh, is creating that, levitation uh vibe you know and and experimenting all the time you know so i'm not a big reader of reviews of our albums or really any albums mm -hmm. and i don't care if like uh, critics like you know new nick cave album or new quicksand quicksand album or not i don't, <laughs> I, I don't think i've ever read any of those reviews actually yeah, maybe yeah. by mistake somehow, but <laughs> no, I think it's a good move not to read that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, plus uh, every band, not every band, but in our band, we um, we explored some visions that we were like, it was our vision, like because there is no other, nobody did that. That's why we went there. That's why we kind of tried to, you know take the best shot we can onto making fun uh like simple punk let's put it this way like this sounds <laughs> ridiculous right <laughs> sounds like oxymoronic straight off the bat but especially in like last uh, the, the album before this and seekers and finders like the idea was like let's drive this simple punk idea as fast as as it gets or as, as best as we can like since we have like classically trained uh, classical virtuoso guys like uh you know sergey in a band and uh pasha and, and yuri was always a huge like virtuoso and uh classically like uh, uh trained musician you know and we we did that and we felt like we drove it home and while we were doing it yeah i think there's some really great uh things on the on seekers and finders but i can see how it's almost like a little too sophisticated for like somebody who is just into really like punk the fuck out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it was leaning into that, but that's what the vision we were pursuing. And um, it's not a lifelong commitment. It's an album. Yeah. Yeah. We made that album. And while, while I was doing that album, I was, while I was mixing it, I was looking at it thinking, wow, that really works. That really doesn't. Um, and uh, you know the the finesse and baroqueness of like virtuoso playing can work very well in certain punk rock contexts, like Forces of Victory, yes. But in some of the 
but some of it, it's, it's actually those vibes rub, rub against each other. Like the refinement, the too much refinement kind of kills the punkness of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what I mean? So through, through doing that, you naturally arrive back to doing like really raw punk, uh, hardcore kind of felt record, like the new one, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. all part of the, you know, it's different chapters of the same story. It's kind of, that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, we, we said this already, but it seems like you have, as an artist, you have to be willing to take a risk. And when you take risks, you don't always succeed. And that's like, I don't see why anyone feels bad about that. That's, that's a part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the best artists that, I mean, they all failed terribly um, <laughs> yeah. most of the time, actually. Yeah. It's just like the, this mythology of pop culture is so fucking stupid that, <laughs> uh, you know, where people are like, it's, you know, you're like, just, just like everybody's acting like your job is to constantly succeed. Like it's not right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's all we do. Like people succeed when they succeed and other times they spend developing that success mm-hmm. by experimenting. You know, like yeah. what's why is that not understood you know i mean in fact i feel very sad for artists who are like enslaved in, in charts and have to constantly bust out under so much stress some super some numbers you know that it's just like who wants to do that Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash in defense of ska you will get monthly bonus episodes extended interviews and commentary per episode and access to the in defense of ska discord in defense of ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week so you should go check out their other projects as well co-host adam davis has an amazing band called omnigon give them a follow on instagram and twitter It's simply at Omnigo. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in defense of ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On that note, we leave you by saying ska now more than ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.